Hey there, friend. Welcome to Java with Julie. I'm Julie Slattery, and this podcast is an outreach of Authentic MC, which is a ministry dedicated to helping you reclaim God's design for sexuality in your life. Well, what would you do if on a date celebrating your 10th anniversary, your spouse turned to you and said, I no longer have feelings for you? After putting together a seemingly perfect date night, complete with roses commemorating each year of their marriage, Dave was blindsided when his wife Anne resisted his advances and told him that she no longer had feelings for him. Well, that was over 20 years ago, and as I'm sure is obvious from the title of this episode, Dave and Anne were able to rebuild their relationship and create a marriage both of them were truly happy in. Now, while they'll still tell you that it's not perfect, Dave and Anne found a way to move forward in love. And as it turns out, it had more to do with their relationship with Jesus than it did with their relationship with one another. Well, you might be in that place that Dave and Anne once were. Maybe you're wondering if you married the wrong person or you're doubting if things can ever get better in your marriage. Well, hang on and lean in. This conversation will encourage you and also give you some practical ways to change the negative dynamics in your marriage. Well, the reason that I wanted to interview you is not just because you're really, really fun, but <laughs> you're great teachers. Mm. And you guys are the host of Family Life Today, um, which is a radio broadcast that is heard around the world. And one of the things I love about the way you host that radio broadcast is you're so real. Like you're not trying to pretend that you've got this all together. You'll tell about a fight you just had yesterday. And we, we make all those up. Those aren't real. I, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> no, those That's are sadly real. You can't they're real. make it up. They are really Like real. some of your conversations of fights, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty legit. We did, we did a message once at uh, church deal, and a couple came up after and said, you know, I've heard you speak on marriage many times. That was your best ever. I'm like, really? Why? And it goes, because you're still in a fight from last night. We can tell you, you haven't resolved it yet. <laughs> well, it was at our church, and so it felt like family. So we're really airing everything mm-hmm. to our congregation. We just think it should be real. Yeah, We want people to know that it's not easy for anybody. It Mm -hmm. takes a lot of hard work. And so we want them to know we're struggling with you to have a marriage that, what do I want to say? We want a marriage that really glorifies Jesus, but that isn't always perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Were you always like that? Like you, Dave, you've been in ministry pretty much your whole married life Yep. and chaplain for NFL teams, which is the coolest ever job. Is it? Pastor. Not when they lose. Uh, hey, I'm grew up in Cleveland. lose. I grew up in Cleveland, yeah. so I know what that you know, feels like, but it's still cool. Cleveland Browns have something that the Lions have. We're the only two teams that went 0-16. Really? It's wow. so sad our claim that's to- our claim to fame. <laughs> in fact, when you guys are going through that, it was three years after us. We were all sort of cheering that maybe you would join us, and you yeah. did. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, man. Well, we really need chaplains with teams <laughs> like that. So you need the power of the Holy Spirit ministering yep. big time. <laughs> so you are chaplain for the NFL team. You're a pastor. You're in ministry. So were you always this open and candid about the mess that felt like marriage or did it always feel like a mess? I think we were because I didn't really grow up in church, but I was in church with my single mom, you know, quite often. She sort of made me go, but I wasn't like a church growing kid, but here's what I remember about church. Everybody was perfect. Mm. You know, the people uh, that were in the pulpit, everybody, it just felt like, wow, I'm looking around at people that aren't like me. They have sort of perfect lives. I'm in a divorced home with two alcoholic parents. My brother just died. 
mm-hmm. of leukemia. So I'm a little boy, and I remember thinking church is sanitized. It's wow. just this. And so obviously years later, I come to Christ in college and then feel a call to ministry. And I knew right then it's like, we're going to do church differently. Mm-hmm. People need to know. Here, here. I'll be honest. I've never told my congregation this. Whenever I preach and whenever Ann and I speak on marriage, I have two goals. Many, many goals, but two. One is that the person listening goes, wow, they struggle like we do. Mm-hmm. Like it isn't like they're above us. They live where we live. Like they were in our family room the way they're talking this week. But the other side is that I also want them to go, but they know a victory and a power in Jesus that I'm not sure I know. Mm-hmm. So they hear both. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, they're just like us. So I want to lean in, but they have something that I don't know if I understand the victory that's in Christ. So it's a mixture of both. So it's intentional. Mm. I didn't grow up in the church at all, Julie. And so I came in just exposing myself. Like I, that's just who I am. It's very normal and natural for me to expose everything about myself. And that can be a bad thing sometimes because I think some people are thinking that's a little too much. I was probably like that with you too, Dave at first, but I think we've had so much damage and Mm -hmm. I have sexual damage in my background. Mm -hmm. And I realized the more I cover it and hide it, the more toxic I was becoming. Mm. And I found there's just a freedom in sharing it with the appropriate people that brings light and life. And when someone shares their struggle and their pain with me, I feel like, man, you've given me this incredible gift and exposing yourself. And I want to treat that very tenderly. And I want to partner with you and care for you and love you and pray for you in that. And I think that's the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what it could and should look like. Yeah. I love when we see God use our brokenness or imperfection as a weapon against the enemy instead of a weapon against ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what you all are modeling. Mm. Uh, You've been married for 41 years. Mm -hmm. Let's rewind 31 years to your 10th anniversary. (laughs) And you open your book, Vertical Marriage, with a story of here's where we are 10 years in. And I would guess from the outside, if we were friends and I didn't know you well, I would look at the ministry you had and the family you had, and I probably would struggle with jealousy. Hmm. Like, wow, they look like they have it together. And (laughs) here's this ministry couple and they're attractive and charismatic and they seem to love each other well. But that wasn't the case. There was much more. So what happened on your 10th anniversary? Well, I mean, Anne can share her perspective, but what you would have thought I thought was true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually (laughs) thought we were doing great and in love and life to me felt great. You know, uh, like you said, I was a Detroit Lions chaplain. We were just about to launch my dream, a church. Mm -hmm. That would reach unchurched men. Which and was, it was my dream too, Dave. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, we had this dream. God's calling us. I was an unchurched guy most of my life. And we're going to sort of design this church to reach that guy. And we had partners to do it with. And so we were on that journey. I'm guessing we, well, I know it was May and we were going to launch in September. So just a few months before that actual launch of a church that ends up being a great thing. It mm-hmm. ends up, maybe look back now over 30 years later. It, God bless it. It just became you know, a church of eight campuses. It was unbelievable what God did. Of course, we didn't know any of that at that moment. And we had a four and two-year-old. Yeah, two kids at home and, uh-huh. and Anne's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we go out on a 10-year anniversary, which I'm like Mr. Romance. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, it's a big secret. We go to this really cool restaurant. 
we have a great meal. And I didn't tell Ann this, but I worked out a deal with the waiter and I gave him 10 roses. And I said, when I give you this look, bring one rose at a time. Oh my and so he bring over rose number one. And I said, hey, let's talk about year one. Rose number two, year two. So we did that. It was pretty remarkable. So it's like Julie's looking at me like, it was pretty, pretty romantic. <laughs> I mean, I'm not Mr. Romance, but that night I pulled out all the stops. And so, and again, we're just having this great conversation. We're driving home and I had one more secret and I thought this through. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We pull into the parking lot of the middle school where we were going to launch our church. We had just mm -hmm. signed a rental contract to rent their cafeteria because mm. we thought nobody's going to show up anyway. We need a little thing. Anne didn't even know this, you know. I knew that we had rented it, but I hadn't seen know the where. space. And so we pull in this parking lot and I just thought, let's pray that God will bless this church. And honestly, my ulterior motive was let's park. <laughs> let's make out and see where this goes. And... Um, Long story short, because this is a long story, is I just lean over to kiss her in the front seat, by the way, of a Honda Accord. So two bucket seats. Yeah. How's this going to go? I don't care. I'm just you, like. You haven't thought this one through. <laughs> no, I'm like, Mr. Romance, this is a great night. I know where this leads. And as I turn to kiss her, she just sort of turns her head. Mm. And I just thought she didn't realize I'm trying to kiss her. So I just try again. <laughs> And she turns her head and I'm like, okay, she's not wanting to kiss me. And that's when it all changed. I'm like, mm. I go, something wrong. And she just said, no. And I could tell, no, something is wrong. So I asked again, like, well, it's, I just tried to kiss you and we've had this great night. It seems like you don't want to kiss me. Is something wrong? And Dave, you were thinking at that time, if you had to say on a scale of one to 10, where is our marriage? You would have said. Like I said, we're great. We're a 9.8. We're 10. <laughs> And so here I am. I think this night is fantastic. Like he pulled out all the stops and it wasn't typical for him. So I knew he had made a great effort. And I pretty much knew when we got to the parking lot, I'm like, okay, he thinks this is going somewhere. Yeah. And I was like, of course he does, because he made this night really spectacular. And I felt like I should go there with him. But what he didn't convey was we had been fighting constantly. Mm -hmm. We were fighting about our schedule, his schedule. He was gone constantly. He was traveling with the Lions. He was starting this church, which was our dream. But as a result of it, he was probably gone four to five nights out of the week. And here I am with these two little kids. And we were fighting. And I would say things like, are you serious? You're going to be gone again tonight? Fine. I'll put the kids to bed alone again. Hopefully they'll remember you. And so mm. it started becoming really caustic and yeah. I was mad. And so that's where I was. And I was thinking on a scale of one to 10, we're probably a 0.5. Wow. That's Possibly really a one. Low. And I was now to the point, I not know? Julie, I was thinking I've got nothing left. Wow. And so when Dave asked me, he tried to kiss me, and then he said, is there something wrong? I didn't want to wreck the evening because mm -hmm. I knew that he had put a lot of effort into it, but he kept pushing me. And I finally said, I've just got to tell you, I have no feelings left for you. I have nothing, nothing. Gee. And Dave, I just got ready because this was typical. I would share something. And then he would get defensive and he would say, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so when I said, I have no feelings for you, he was quiet. And then what happened is he said, tell me more. And that's the first time you had really done that. Wow. And so I started sharing more. Like I said, Dave, 
we've had this fight so many times and I feel like I'm done with it because I don't feel like anything's going to change. And I felt so angry, like we were fighting and I felt like you weren't hearing me. You weren't seeing me. You were gone all the time. I feel like your job is way more important than I am or the kids or our family. And to tell you the truth, I started out angry. My anger turned to bitterness. My bitterness turned to resentment. And now I have nothing. Hmm. And I don't even know what to do at this point. Had you thought about leaving? It's so funny. I thought I had no hope left Mm -hmm. anymore. And I knew that was a dangerous place to be. But because of my relationship with God and because I wanted to make this work, but I felt like we're doomed and it's not going to work. And I had resigned myself to that. And so I hadn't followed through with any sort of divorce plans, Mm -hmm. but I really had lost hope and I knew that was a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly what ended up happening was Dave says, I need to do something. And he gets on his knees in the front seat of this Honda Accord And he pushes the seat way back, and he has his hands folded on the seat, and he begins to pray. So, Dave. Wow. Well, (laughs) we got to back up a little bit before you even get to that moment there. Yeah, she went all the way to the Mm -hmm. knees. No, it's a a profound story. Hmm. But I have to ask you, like, how did you not hear her for all those years when you've had that same fight? That's a good question. Only a counselor would ask that. <laughs> Sorry, we're going deep here. You've already told me you have trauma in your past. Like, we got to get into it all. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I do know, but I don't know. At the time, I definitely didn't know. Mm-hmm. I I can remember, like Ann said, I remember, you know, walking out to the car to go to another meeting, mm-hmm. to lead a meeting about this church or to go lead a Bible study with the Detroit Lions. And she would be yelling. We'd be yelling at each other, literally in the driveway. Um, And you're you're wondering, what are the neighbors thinking of this pastor couple next to her? But that's where we were. And I can remember pounding the dashboard as I drove away mad at her not understanding my life. I I have to do this. This is what I am. This is who I, you know, how in the world can you like be resentful of this Mm -hmm. and then go lead the meeting? And it's mm-hmm. like I detached my home life from my ministry life, and I'd come back home and be like, what's the problem here? You know, it's like I tried to just separate, and I did. I actually <laughs> felt like I could do that in a way, and I'm not kidding. Uh, three weeks ago, I, I don't know, never brought this up because just had a new revelation three weeks ago, talking to my older sister, who's nine years older. And was never really a part of my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. When the divorce happened, she was a junior in high school. My mom moved us from New Jersey to Ohio to start a new life. Pam is with me and with my mom. My older two brothers are off to college. And so it's just my sister, me, my little brother who dies within Mm -hmm. a couple months of leukemia. And so I have a little bit of relationship with my sister, but I haven't really talked to her in several years. That's just the way our family functions. We have this phone call three weeks ago that Ann initiates with Pam, my sister, and says, Pam, could you tell us what was it like when your mom and dad went through the divorce? David doesn't re- David, that's what she calls me, doesn't mm-hmm. remember anything. Long story short, she walks through those years. She was 10 to 15 years old. And I realized as I listened to this, no wonder I just ran away from conflict. She mm-hmm. said, so mom and dad get divorced and we're moving to Ohio. Mom never told me. 
And by the way, both parents mm. are alcoholics. Yeah. Yeah. She says, Look, my, our brother dies. Mom never mentions it one time. Mm-hmm. I came home and the, and the reverend was there and he said, your brother just died. There's never wow. a conversation. So again, hearing that, I'm like, okay, I copied that. Yeah. And so I could see, wow, I separated. Like this is home life is terrible, mm-hmm. but we're good. Mm-hmm. And ministry is successful. So I think I just detached my soul from our married life. And it didn't all come crashing in on me until that moment in the car when Ann said, I've lost my feelings for you. A miracle happened. It's the only mm-hmm. way I can describe what happened. A yeah. miracle happened. My eyes were finally open like, this is the reality right in front of you that has been going on that you couldn't see. Now mm-hmm. I can finally see it. So you just mentioned that at some level you knew that your home life was a wreck. You'd rather be out on the road where yep. you could be successful. But you also thought that your marriage was a 9.8. I know. So how how did you reconcile that? I mean, I'm trying to understand a guy's perspective because from a woman's perspective, we're like, do you hear yourself? Well, and my thought was, how can you think that we're doing okay? That yeah. just made me think you don't even care to notice how bad we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly have no idea how I managed those two realities because mm-hmm. I honestly thought we're great. Yeah. You know, because it felt like 80 to 90% of the time, we are good. You mm-hmm. know, she loves me. We're talking. We're raising the boys. And there was this little 10%, 15% where she was disappointed and mm-hmm. we had these fights. And I just sort of like, that's not that big a deal. It yeah. was the deal, but I couldn't see it until that night. Mm. You said a miracle happened in that moment. Do you have any sense that God was preparing your heart for that? Or was it just like, wow, my eyes are open to seeing something I never saw before? Well, I think, you know, as I look back now with hindsight, I think God was trying to get my attention, trying to get my attention. I was praying for sure. Like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need you to intervene. How long have you been praying? Oh, probably for a year. Mm -hmm. Because I think it wasn't 10 years that it was so bad, but it had been bad for a year. And I kept thinking, it'll get better. It'll get better. And I started losing hope that it would get better. But I had been praying. And I think I sort of poured my life outside the home to avoid it. I could sense it. Like when she said she went from anger, I remember the anger. I didn't know it had drifted all the way to numb, Mm -hmm. you know, until she said those words. And, you know, when she said them, I knew it was true. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I'm trying to kiss her and I'm like, what's wrong? And then when she said the words, I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's her reality. That Mm -hmm. is literally what I haven't seen for the last year. It's right there in front of me. Yeah. So I finally, I think. Well, you were angry, though, when I said it, too. Well, that Mm -hmm. night, not really. No, I usually would fight back. Mm -hmm. Like she said, I always fought back. Like, what do you mean? I would have said, you don't, I would, here's what I would have said. If any other night I would have said, I'll pull out my calendar and prove to you I'm home. Cause you just said I'm not home. I am home. Mm -hmm. It's on the calendar. That's Mm -hmm. what I would have done. In fact, Mm -hmm. I was reaching for the calendar in the back seat when she was saying that. Wow. That's where I was. Yeah. Oh, God really did soften your heart. Well, I mean, I'm literally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got my hand. She doesn't know what I'm reaching for. Yes. But I was ready to go there. And as my hand is in, you know, reaching for the, it was a Franklin planner. Remember those guys uh-huh. who wrote yep. down in pencil? I heard the voice of God. Mm. Not an audible voice, but the spirit of God that lives in me said, mm. don't touch it, shut up and listen. Wow. And, I, and she doesn't know anything. I just... I didn't touch it. I just turned around. And I said, tell me more. Yeah. And that's why I said, tell me more. Cause I felt like God said, shut up. 
listen. Mm. And then she did. And I mm. heard one more word from God. It was as clear as he was sitting right there saying, listen, it was the word repent. Wow. That's so powerful. She's, she's talking. <laughs> yeah. So it's so, that's why it's a miracle. I'm listening to her. And at the same time, God said, repent three times. Mm. Repent, repent, repent. And here's the thing, you know, somebody listening to this is like, well, what did he mean by repent? I knew. I knew the second I heard repent from God, it wasn't like a preacher like me saying, repent, turn your life over to Christ. It meant, uh, and I knew in one word, I knew all of this in one word from God. I knew he was saying, you've drifted from your first love with me. This marriage isn't going to be saved by you and Anne working this thing out. It's vertical. Mm -hmm. You have to fall back in love with me. And when you get that relationship as the priority in your life, which you know and you preach, but you know right now it's not your priority, this will follow. Mm-hmm. I knew all that in one word. So that's why when Ann said, I lost my feelings for you, I said, you know, I think I said, you don't need to do something right now, but I do. And I wasn't inviting her. I just knew I got to do this and I need to do it on my knees. I don't often pray on my knees, but it was like my posture I am not submitted. And I was like, I'm chasing after this meeting and that meeting. I'm trying to do. And my last time I'd sat with God, literally, and opened the word of God, I couldn't remember. Mm. I was just flying by in the seat of my pants, going to meetings. The only time I prayed was before the meeting. God, help me lead this meeting. Yeah. There was a disconnect mm. in an intimacy and a love relationship with God. So when he said repent, I knew it's like, Fall back in love with Jesus, and then let's work on the marriage. So that's why I got on my knees and, and just said, I need to pray. And Dave, it's not like you're a guy that is hearing God all the time. He said, God said this, God said that. This was a real special encounter with God. Yeah. What you've described for the first 10 years up until that day is so typical of a lot mm-hmm. of marriages where where a woman is feeling the pain, she's feeling disconnected from her husband. She's trying all the tricks she knows to get his attention, <laughs> yelling, manipulating, withholding, all the things we do to be like, hey, I'm hurting over here. And none of it works. And she gets to the point where she gives up. And for a lot of women, it happens in a day. Mm. It's like, I'm done. I've read the books. I've gone to the <laughs> conference. I've lift, listened to family life. I've done everything they've said to do. And it hasn't worked and I'm out. And what you were saying, Anne, was you weren't going to leave the marriage, but you were emotionally out. Checked out emotionally for yeah. sure. And it sounds like you were at a point of surrender that you hadn't been in the previous nine years. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think in the previous nine years, I was trying to do all the things you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I was manipulating the situation. I was putting books by the bedside yeah. and in the bathroom. <laughs> Done that. I was comparing <laughs> Dave like, hey, this is what this guy uh-huh. said and this what this guy is doing. I was doing everything in my own power to change him. And there comes a point where you realize none of it's working. And I was praying too. But I was also praying like, God, I don't know what to do, that desperation of help me, Jesus. But then something happened. When Dave started getting on his knees and I heard him pray out loud, and I love scripture because it's so practical. And I love when it says, when the scripture says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And so when Dave didn't respond in anger to what I said, And he got on his knees and he started praying this prayer of repentance. Before this night, I would have said, Dave should do that because it's all his fault. Mm -hmm. And if he would just get his act together, we could be great again. 
and I was putting it all on him. But the second he started praying, I was so convicted instantly. And I felt like God was saying to me, <laughs> it makes me teary, and it was so long ago. Ann Wilson, Dave was never made or created to meet all of your needs. That's my job. And you have been thinking that your life would be happy when he got his act together. Mm. And he will never make you happy. I am the one that will fulfill you. I am the one to be chasing after. I am the one that can bring life to you. And I realized in that second that my marriage and Dave had become an idol. Like I was thinking, my marriage is the thing that will bring me happiness. And mm -hmm. Dave, if he gets his act together, I could be good to him. We could be great again. And God was like, no, I am the one that restores. I am the one that brings hope. I am the one that brings satisfaction to your soul. I am the fulfiller of your soul. And I know you better than anyone. And I will be that for you. Mm -hmm. And so I got down on my knees. I prayed a prayer of surrender of, Lord, I can't do this apart from you. I confess. I repent. I need you to be the Lord of my life again. Wow. When you first started telling that story, I thought that Dave got on his knees to repent to you. No. Mm. But you were repenting to God. Yeah. And, I, you know, I prayed out loud. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't pray about the marriage. I prayed mm -hmm. about my walk with God. It was lukewarm. Talk and, about, that was so humble of him. And then that prompted repentance in your heart. Well, I mean, yes. Julie, when I finished praying, I was like, okay, you know, I open my eyes, let's talk. Cause I know this isn't the end of it. This is the beginning. So everybody wants to know, did you end up having sex that night in the parking lot? Uh, nope. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. That wouldn't have been right. That yeah. wouldn't have been the right thing. Some other night in that yes. parking lot. But no, I mean, when I turned and then let's talk, mm -hmm. I didn't know she got on her knees because mm -hmm. I had my eyes closed and yeah. and she starts praying and really it ends up being both of us praying a prayer of repentance. And we got up and sat in the seat and I knew right then like, okay, now we need to talk and decide what the future looks like. Because if mm -hmm. we keep, especially me, if I keep living the way we've been, we'll be right back here in three months. Yeah. You know, prayer is one thing, surrender is one thing. But if you don't live that out. It's a daily surrender. Yeah. And mm -hmm. many people, when they hear this story, they go, okay, great. What then did you do? You yeah. know? And so there was things we had to act out. And yeah. I've had women ask me like, so did your feelings come back? And I said, eventually, mm -hmm. but it took a lot of work and some time. Mm. Well, I don't want to skip past that prayer mm. because I think over the last 15 or 20 years, as, since I've grown as a Christian, that word repentance is gone. Mm. Like we just don't even talk about it. We talk about, oh, I shared my feelings or we prayed or we asked God for help. But rarely do we talk about the goodness of repentance. It's like mm. a dirty word now. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it almost feels old school. Mm -hmm. You know, Billy Graham uses the word repentance. That's current, you know, modern preachers leave that in the past. But the word means, you know, to change your mind. Mm -hmm. It's a mindset which leads to an action. So I needed to change the way I was thinking and living. And it's interesting. I didn't think of it in that moment, but later it hit me. In the book of Revelation, when the angel is speaking and revealing, he speaks to the church of Laodicea, and he says, what? You've done all these great things. It's almost like a description of my life at the time. You've done all these great things, and people are praising what you've done, but you've lost your first love. Mm -hmm. And then what's he say? I don't know. I'd never read it like this, because it's to a church, but it also was what God was saying to me tonight. He says, repent 
and do the things you did at first. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, the repent meant I need to change the way I'm thinking and living, which I can keep going down that road or I can turn, and I turned, and then do the things you did at first. And you think about that in a relationship or in a marriage, it's like, well, what did we do at first? So we had to talk about that. Like we had to look at, especially me, I had to look at my calendar and go, why are all these meetings on my calendar? Mm -hmm. What did we do at first? Well, we walked with God daily. We had a daily devotional. We dated. So... That was something we even put in the book. It's like, what are the rhythms that we need to bring back into our marriage that were sort of gone? We call it uh, pray daily, date weekly, retreat annually. So it was sort of this daily, weekly, annually thing. And again, we didn't do it perfectly, but it's like, man, if you pray with your spouse, even on a daily basis, it changes something. Oh, and we had stopped praying together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to pray together when you're resentful. It so it's one thing to go vertical, but when you go vertical horizontally together, so, and it, it, sometimes it was a 30-second prayer. Yeah. It wasn't like we went into this whole, it was just let's connect vertically daily yeah. and, and let's the, date and, weekly. And the opposite is also true. It's hard to stay mad at somebody you're praying with. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot on this podcast about intimacy, intimacy in relationship, intimacy with God. And the women that listen to this podcast, a lot of them like are tracking, they get it. They love that that language of intimacy with God. But for a lot of men, that's a disconnect. Uh, it's a disconnect to think about intimacy in marriage, but it's even more of a stretch to talk about what intimacy with God is like. I think for a lot of men, intimacy means doing and serving and pouring my life out for in my actions. But you're talking about a different kind of intimacy. And I'd love for you to explain that, Dave, because I think a lot of guys are like, I don't even know what that would look like. And I think I'm like a lot of guys. (laughs) (laughs) In some sense, I resonate with what you're saying like a lot of guys think about. I think that's been a real journey for me. Partly some of my past and my history, not having a dad, not knowing intimacy with another man Mm -hmm. was like in terms of a friendship or a father, didn't Mm -hmm. really have that. So when even when I came to Christ, that felt weird. It's like, well, how do I relate to a heavenly father in an intimate way? And I have three sons Mm -hmm. and they've told me as adult sons, this isn't fun, but they've said, you know, you weren't very intimate, you Mm -hmm. know, like heart to heart. Mm -hmm. The good thing is I'm not done. Mm -hmm. So I hopefully can get better even with my sons. But I've discovered even in the last 10, 15 years, worship, singing is intimate Mm -hmm. with me. So that's something I bring into my daily walk now, not every single day, but grabbing a guitar or putting on a worship song. In fact, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, my worship journey changed our church mm. because it brought an intimacy to my own walk with God that I couldn't not keep into my sermons. And people are like, what is happening to you? You know, it's just like there was a fire and a burn that came out of a more intimate walk with God that overflowed. I think a lot of it for me was I'm a word guy. I love the word. I mm. study the word, but I had never connected the arts part, even though I'm a guitarist mm. and I'm playing bands. I never connected the arts part to the the daily walk. And I think that changed me, mm-hmm. didn't it? So King David did. Yeah, yeah I think it was so. something beautiful that happened in me that brought more of a closeness and intimacy with God. One of the things I really admire about Dave is that 
our grown sons came to him and said, Dad, you have an intimacy issue. <laughs> wow. Which that is not easy okay, to Okay, we don't hear. need to share that with the world. But what they said was... <laughs> it's not the whole world, Dave. <laughs> We've shared it, Dave. And you've shared this openly several times. But they said, Dad, you're more intimate with the thousands of people in our congregation mm-hmm. than you are at our dinner table. Like you'll share your whole life with the people there, but at home, you're really quiet. And man, that is not easy for any parent to hear. But I love that Dave, this is one of my favorite things about him. Like he's super humble and super teachable and saying, guys, you're right. Like I need to get counseling. Mm -hmm. He's 63 years old and he's saying, I want to be better at this. I mean, the second two of my sons said this to me, and I'm sure my oldest would say the same thing. But the second it came out of their mouth, I knew they were right. Mm. It wasn't like any pushback in me. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do I, how do, yeah. I do better? You yeah. know, it isn't just try harder. It's like, oh, that's connected to something. Mm. We got to dig down there a little bit and see what that is. I wish I'd done that 30 years ago, yeah. but I'm doing it now. So let's do it. And I hope five, seven years from now they're going to say, Dad, you're an intimate father. Wow. You know? That's, you're such a role model. It is. Yeah, I hope I can get there. I'm on that journey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a struggle for a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. We are dudes and we hang out and we talk about whatever, but it's really scary to be intimate. Mm-hmm. You know, to talk about soul and weakness and struggle. I mean, I have a couple guys that I can do that with, but it's a, I don't know. I watch women. They seem to be able to do it. Yeah. Easier. I'm not making generalities, but I know no, that it's no. In general, for me. we do, yeah. and it's more culturally acceptable. I think. Yeah. Hmm. So one thing in your journey, and you were probably further ahead of understanding intimacy, being vulnerable and open. How did you stay patient and encouraging when you felt like he's not there yet? Mm-hmm. Like there's still wounds that are hidden and keeping him from just being fully expressive and intimate. I remember after our 10-year anniversary, and we've shared this in our book, Two Vertical Marriage, that I was still nagging Dave. I was still thinking that by critiquing him, I would motivate him to change. And I kept pointing out the lack of intimacy in our relationship and even our rela- his relationship with our boys. And I'm telling you, I kept pushing that and pushing that, and I realized it's not working. Mm-hmm. And we share in the book that we were speaking at a women's group. And I asked Dave, like, come on, like, do this with me. They're going to love you as a mops at our church. And so Dave, I asked him, like, what do you want to talk about? He goes, I don't know. Let's just wing it. And I never know what that really means. So he's up there. He is going after it. You know, he goes, women, he's standing up. We're on two stools. Now he's standing up like, women, I just don't think that you get it. Like, you see what happens for us as men is as little boys, we have someone, our moms are usually cheering for us. Mm -hmm. And he said, and then we get older and we find out, oh, I'm good at this. So we have a coach or a teacher or a music instructor. They're saying, oh, you're so good at this. And so they're starting to cheer for us. And they say, man, you're good at this. And he goes, and then I played college football. So I'm a quarterback. And so on Saturdays, I have stands that are clapping for me, cheering like, Dave Wilson, you're the man. And I'm thinking as I'm sitting on my stool, like, I have never heard him share any of this. This Mm. is so interesting. (laughs) I've never thought of men having that cheering person. And he said, and then I met Anne. And basically, she says, of all the men in the world, 
I choose you, Dave Wilson. You're the man. And he's clapping. And I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is really good. And he goes, and then we're married for a while. And you know what happens for us men as we walk through the door at the end of a long day? All we hear is, and he puts his hands to his mouth. He goes, boo, boo. And I'm like, what are you talking about right now? Wow. I'm shocked. Like he's never said this in our lives. I have no idea that he's going to say it. And I look at him like, are you kidding me I mean, right now? he was on the stage. I turn and I knew right then like, oh, oh no. Did I you never... know you were going to say this or did no. it just come out of your mouth? I mean, as I'm saying it, again, I, it was like a wing thing. You're you like know? a verbal processor. Yeah. And uh-huh. I was and like, he wouldn't share thinking, again, wow, he... this is good. I've never said it quite. I never articulated like this. This is exactly how it feels. And I go, boo. And I look over and she's like. Really, the shock look like, what are you? And I'm like, oh, crap. We As we said, drive home. Dave is more intimate in a crowd where he'll share things yeah. there yeah. that he won't share. He feels less vulnerable. Yes. So yep. we get in the car and I'm like, <laughs> what in the world was that? I have to ask you, is this before the 10 year or after? After. This is after. So I think this is important because it doesn't mean that that surrender right. immediately means... It's all going to be perfect. And haven't you found that, Julie, is God doesn't just heal everything all at once. Mm-mm. He's so gracious. He gives us time. Like, okay, here's a big one. And and a lot of it was on us. I mean, yeah. God does his work. Yeah. And it's like, you got to do and yours. And I think our marriage goes through peaks and valleys. That's really normal. Mm-hmm. But on this occasion, we were in another valley. I didn't know about it this time. I think Dave was feeling that, but I wasn't. And mm-hmm. so when we got in the car and I said, what is that? I said, I am helping you. <laughs> That's what I said. When so, he's... so you didn't feel hurt? Did you like feel hurt and like I'm so sorry, or no, were you defensive? I was mad. She like, was mad. are you kidding me right now? Like, she said, I'm helping you. I think she said, I am your Holy no. Spirit. I, oh said, I, said, no, I said, I am helping the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, I said That's what that. She thinks she said. I heard something. And different. what I said was, everybody sees you. They think you're amazing. They're all cheering for you. I see the real you, and I am helping you to be better, mm. thinking my criticism, my critique will motivate you and push you to be a better man. Mm. And it did not work. And what did you say, Dave? I remember, the you know, the drive home, she said all that. And I said, well, all I can tell you is it doesn't feel like help. Wow. It feels like boo. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of our drive home. And you home. went on, you said, because I remember this you said, I feel like I can't do anything right. I feel like everything I do, you have to tweak it, whether it be parenting, whether it be as a husband. I feel like everything I'm doing, you're having to just fix it. Let me ask you, in that season of your marriage, did you think your husband was arrogant? I don't know if it was arrogant as much as he's super confident, Mm -hmm. and I very rarely praised him because Mm -hmm. I thought everybody... He doesn't need it. No. He's so confident. Yeah. He's so good at everything he does and everyone around him is applauding him and cheering him. And I really thought if I did it as well, he would think I'm satisfied and it would enable him to stay the same. Mm. Which when I say that to women, they all resonate like, yes, that's exactly why I don't cheer him or praise him. Right. I think a lot of times women think that the persona that you presented, Dave... And you were good at a lot of things. You are good at a lot of things. But it's like, no, like, it's my job to take him down a few notches, to bring him back down to earth. When in reality, you're saying everywhere else in the world is a safe place except for home. 
Right. And there's insecurity in all of our men, as confident as they may look and as much praise as they might get. How long into your marriage was it when this happened? So 10 years was a big This mark. was about 15. Mm-hmm. And what changed then? Well, I went home. I was super mad the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I stomped upstairs. I got on my knees. And I'm pretty honest with God. I'm yeah. honest in kind of everything in my life. So I get on my knees and I was saying, Lord, did you hear that? Can you believe he would say that about me? Still defensive. And then I asked this question, God, is there any truth in what he said? Mm, that's a dangerous question. Oh, Julie, why did I pray that? But I no. was praying she would ask that <laughs> But it is like, that's what God wants a relationship yeah. with us. He's always wanted to talk to us, to communicate to us. And there's something so sweet about God because when he speaks to us, even in the hard truths, it's very loving. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he can speak to me and he doesn't shame me. But he did say he was speaking truth, Anne. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking, then I need to learn what it is to cheer for Dave. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I did was I started just listening to what was in my head about him. Mm. Oh, Julie, mm-hmm. it was horrible. Wow. I realized I am thinking every time he does think something, I'm thinking like he shouldn't do it like that. Or why did he say that to the kids? Or why didn't he discipline like this? Or why is he gone again? And so when scripture says to take your thoughts captive, I had no fence around my mind. I was thinking the worst things about Dave continually mm. and very seldom was I thinking positive? Hmm. You know, one thing that you both did as you described your stories is you trusted the wounds of a friend, which Hmm. is the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You know, I think so often we think God's wounds are for our harm, but the proverb says the wounds of a friend are, they're good. And the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Hmm. And David says, let a righteous man strike me because it's going to be like oil on me. It's going to refresh me. And you both had the courage to do that. And there are so many different ways that we can talk about, like improving marriages and tips and techniques and strategies. But there's something profound about the power of God Mm. when we have that posture of, Lord, you are good. And as much as it might hurt, I welcome your wounding because Mm. I know that you're building us for the purpose of your loving kingdom. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as hard as that can feel... It's a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our hope, Tim Keller says it in The Meaning of Marriage, is that we become our glory selves, you know, become like Christ, which we won't be perfectly like Christ until glory. And, uh, you know, one of the things that marriage does, he gives you a partner that can sharpen. And mm-hmm. that's going to mean there's going to be some truth said that you can get defensive. You're just being stupid. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like she sees, he sees things that nobody else can see. And so when they speak that, hopefully it's in a in a loving way, you know, Ephesians 4, 15, speak the truth in love. It's a gift from God that yeah. can make you better, or you can be the immature guy who says, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Or you can go, wow, tell me more. How do I come across that way? How do I treat you like that? I want to be like Christ. And I know it's, I'm, I'm rarely going, tell me more. Yeah. But at the end that? of the day, it's like, oh, thank you. That I needed to hear because I want to be that man. And to be honest, Dave very rarely critiques me. He's mm-hmm. much, I think sometimes the men that I've been around, 
they don't criticize their wives as much as like my friends and I would criticize our husbands. It's true. Do you think it is? I think that's very true. I think men withdraw. Yeah. um, But women pursue. Yeah. um, With kind of that critical, I need to fix you. And I feel like that truth really transformed me because I started changing the way I thought, which then I started to analyze what I was saying. And I realized those words aren't very uplifting either. And so I really went on this journey of with God, asking him to change my thoughts, change my life and change my words so that I would speak truth and love in our home and to our kids. Like I would be an encourager instead of one that was continually mm. critiquing and tearing down. And, you know, it wasn't your words that that wounded your husband or his that wounded you. It was taking it before the Lord and asking where is their truth? What would you speak to me? Yeah. And mm. that's where it becomes very powerful. Mm. Yeah. All I know is being her husband, and it wasn't the next day, but over weeks and months, she started speaking positive. She stopped booing. She started cheering. <laughs> started um, thanking you. Mm-hmm. And it was powerful because, you know, when you get cheered by strangers or people that know you but don't really know you, you don't really receive, you're like, thank no. you. Yeah. But you know, like they don't know half yeah. of it. When your spouse, who sees all the crap, speaks life, you're like, "That's real." Yeah. She believes me. She trusts me, and she saw what I, how I treated her or the kids today, and she still believes me and wants to be there. I'm getting teary thinking about it. It's like that's powerful because mm-hmm. it's not a lie; it's real. And a man responds to that because the truth is. I don't know if every man will admit this, but we're all little boys, so Mm -hmm. insecure, looking for mom. Hey, look at me, look at me, looking for somebody to say, you're a good man. I trust you. I mean, I work with pro athletes and the world would say they're the most confident. They're the most insecure in that locker room. It's all about bravado, trying to Mm -hmm. prove to the guy beside them in the locker. I'm really a good man. They're so insecure. Mm -hmm. And so people don't compliment them because they think you're at the best in the world what you do. They are longing for someone, their Mm -hmm. wife, especially they say you're a good man. And so Anne changed our marriage when she heard God say, yeah, you do boo. And so mm. she started cheering. I think it changed us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way I think of it, and this really helped me as a wife, is that men wake up every day saying, am I good enough? Yeah. Do you believe in me? And everybody's casting votes all day. Yes, <laughs> no. But the most powerful vote is mine with my husband. Yeah. And when I realized that, I was like, wow, my words mean more, the positive and negative words mean more than anyone else's words. And that is power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much more we can unpack that you've written about in your book, Vertical Marriage, of how this really does change the dynamics of conflict and sex and intimacy and how you share I know you and I are going to be together again. And so I'd love to have you back to unpack some of that. We would love it. We would love it. Mm -hmm. We would definitely do it. Well, as I've gotten to know Dave and Ann, I'm so appreciative of their authenticity, just how they share their real life journey. And they are just, just like you heard in real life. They are just normal people who are passionate about the Lord and passionate about helping people in their marriage journeys. You know, the Holy Spirit has a huge role to play in our marriages. He longs to heal us, to correct us, to transform our hearts and lives. And beyond that, He longs to transform our marriages. And I'm grateful that God is willing to come into the hidden places of our heart and lovingly draw us to Him. 
To hear more from Dave and Ann, you can find them on Family Life Today, their podcast, which is linked in our show notes. And if you're looking for more resources on building intimacy in marriage, we've included a link to our marriage page in our show notes as well. Well, friend, if you've been blessed by this episode or the work of authentic intimacy, would you consider partnering with us through a donation? This is a listener-supported podcast, and because of the generosity of you and others like you, we're able to reach people with truth-filled resources that they need in order to make sense of their own journey. We really appreciate your support and partnering with us. That's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you next week as we continue our series, answering some of the most commonly asked questions on God, sex, and intimacy. Intimacy.